God cares deeply about our attitude. And the truth is that often our attitude could use some adjustment. Even in the best of circumstances, a good attitude does not come naturally. But we can replace complaining with thanksgiving, covetousness with contentment, criticism with love, and adjust our attitudes to honor Him. In this study, Lord, change my attitude based on the Israelites' life in the wilderness. We will learn how our attitudes can keep us in the wilderness or allow us to enjoy the blessings of the promised land. Very good. Thank you for being here this morning. I love looking out and seeing each one of you and knowing that we're here today for the purpose of worshiping God. And before we get into the message, we have a memory verse for this week. Is that correct? Somebody tell me what it is. Which, what's the verse? Romans 12, 1. And we've got our children in worship with us today. Every fifth Sunday, our elementary age kids join us for, for worship. And I get so excited because they're here with us. And we are going to say with them our memory verse for this morning. So, Miss Morgan, if you'll pull that up, um, we'll get ready. Let's read it and say it together. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service now of worship, is the way I learned it. So I'm going to have to add that on the end. Um, so, but it is our reasonable service. So this week, we're coming up, we have another memory verse. I've been very blessed up until this point. I pretty much knew all of them. The one coming up this week, I'm going to have to work on. So... Y'all, motiv- y'all pray for me, motivate me, send me the text and said, hey, are you there yet, Pastor? And I'll do the same with you guys. But I look forward to the memory verses and to seeing how God's implanted word into our minds will transform us. So, Lord, this morning as we go from looking last week at a covetous attitude to this week looking at an attitude of com- contentment. Lord, would you make us content in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so quick scenario. We've got the children of Israel. They're in Egypt. They're in bondage. They're in slavery. The Pharaoh says, I got y'all and y'all ain't going nowhere. And then one day in the, out in the desert, God comes to this man named, what was his name? Moses. God came to this man named Moses, and he came to him through a burning bush. That's right. So when God came to this man named Moses, and he came to him at a burning bush, he basically said this, Hey, there's some people back there that you know very well. There's a leader back there that you're very familiar with. And I have raised you up to go back and to get those people, to set them free, and deliver them from slavery to the promised land. And Moses says, who, me? Yeah, who, me? And then he begins to give all these reasons why he's not the one that ought to do it. And he finally said, Lord, I don't, I'm not going. You send somebody else. And said, God got angry at him. And then after Moses kind of um, relented just a little bit, and God said, I tell you what, I'm going to bring your brother Aaron, and he's going to talk, and you're going to lead, and together y'all are going to set those people free. Well, Moses went back and he got him. He brought him out. 
He took them through a lot of different things. But during that season of time known as the wilderness, that's what we want to look at. We want to talk about the attitudes that kept the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years when it only should have been just some months. Okay? And we want to learn and understand that. We also want to understand the attitudes that caused God in Numbers 14, 26 through 29 to look at an entire generation of people and say, you will not ever go into the promised land. In fact, he said it like this. He said, all of you will be in the wilderness until the generation of people that are 20 years and up have died away. Man, that is unprecedented in Scripture that he says that I will withhold my blessing from an entire group of people. But now, lest you think God is too harsh, up until that moment, he had given them over and over and over and over opportunities to repent and to say, we will follow you. You are enough. And ultimately, when God saw that their hearts were not going to turn to Him, He then issued that decree. You say, well, Pastor, that's Old Testament. Does it actually jump over the silent period? Does it jump over from the Old Testament to the New Testament? And I think it does. It jumps over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 that says, Things that happen to them are given to us as an example. In other words, what went on back there was divinely understood, divinely allowed, and it was also divinely carried over and written down and recorded for the purpose of you, me, us, looking at it and seeing that God said, Don't do what they did. I've told you. I've shown you. Now I'm telling you again. Don't go that route. And so we're talking about attitudes. We're talking about the attitudes that kept the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And some for they never got out. An attitude we defined as a pattern of thinking developed over a long period of time. And everybody in this room has an attitude about something. Some of us have an attitude about people that sit at the red light and don't go when the light turns green. And how do we show our attitude? And that's when we're being nice, right? Sometimes we tell them they're number one. We shouldn't do that. I'm just saying. That's an attitude that I think God would not like. Some of us have attitudes about food, correct? Have you ever eaten so much of something that it made you sick and the next time you saw it, you thought, I am not ever eating that again? Because it's like, because every time you look at it, you associate it with whatever happened to you at that moment. So an attitude, a pattern of thinking developed over a long period of time. And it's not easy to change an attitude. In fact, I would tell you, I believe that only God changes an attitude through His divine work. Now, we can change our behavior pretty quickly. But usually, usually, that is a short-lived 
change because the attitude kicks back in very quick. Last week we said that the attitude that kept the children of Israel in the wilderness was an attitude of covetousness. Covetousness is wanting wrong things. Covetousness is wanting right things for the wrong reason. Covetousness is wanting right things at the wrong time. Covetousness is wanting right things but in the wrong amount. That is covetousness. It's not just a simple definition. But it is all of those things, some of those things, or a part and piece of those things. But it is, what its ultimate root is this. God, you are not enough. God, what you've provided is not sufficient for me. I want something else. So when we are looking at these wilderness attitudes, and we're trying to throw off the wilderness attitude, We are not just throwing off the old because that's behavior modification. Behavior modification isn't adequate. We're wanting to throw off the old, but we're wanting to put on the new. The scripture says to clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to put off the old man. We want to put on the new man, the new man that is now A new creature, the old things are passed away. Behold, the old things are made new. We want to put on the person of Christ, the indwelling Christ, is how Paul would have called it in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And nevertheless, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Faith in what? Not in my ability to change my thoughts. Not in my ability to change my behavior. But I live by faith in the Son of God. The perfect Son of God. Who lived a sinless life. Who in all ways was tempted. Who lived a sinless life. Who was hung on a cross. Buried in a tomb. And rose again and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Our faith is there. Our faith is in, Jesus said, if I leave you, that I will send a helper to you. And that helper will live inside of you. And that helper will fill you. And that indwelling Holy Spirit, that indwelling Spirit of Christ will be in you. And you can, in your weak moments, call. In your scared moments, cry. In your disobedient moments, confess. And he says, I will walk with you. So we want to put off this attitude of covetousness and put on the new self, which is the attitude of contentment, the lifestyle of contentment. So take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. And we will read verses 6 through 10. It says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Say great gain. It's great. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So now, if we know that the Old Testament attitude that we need to lose or the, or the sinful attitude that we need to lose is covetousness, Paul, in writing to Timothy in his last words of instruction to him, have said that godliness with contentment, this is what we want to put on. So hopefully, through our dissecting this passage and looking at other places, then we can begin to understand what God is teaching us. So the first thing is we understand what covetousness is. We understand how covetousness falls short in that it says, God, you are not enough. The opposite of covetousness is contentment. And contentment is satisfaction in God's sufficient provision to rest in what one has and to seek nothing more. It is the attitude of I have enough. Now, somebody's going to sit here and say, well then, why should I go to college? Why should I finish high school? Why should I seek a promotion? Why should I try to expand my business? God is not saying that it is wrong to gain. It is not wrong to work. In fact, the scripture would teach that he wants us to work. The scripture would teach that if we have talents, he wants us to invest them. But it's the attitude of it's all about me, for me, and it's not having an eternal mindset, a kingdom mind. A kingdom mind says, God, if you bless me, then I also will be a blessing. God, if you bless me, I will bless others. God, if you bless me, I will bless your church. I will bless God, I will use what you give me to bring glory and fame to you and to who you are. Covetousness says, I want more. It's all of mine. I remember an episode of the Andy Griffith show. And Opie had gone and gone to walk and he had gone places Aunt B had told him not to go and done things Aunt B had told him not to do. And he wound up somewhere with this little boy on a, sitting on a tailgate eating apples. And Opie traded him something for all these apples. And I remember him sitting there and he was eating apple after apple. And his, this big old smile that he had at one moment kept just getting less and less and less and less and less. And finally it was him laying on the back of the truck holding his stomach like this. And when he got home, Aunt B wanted to feed him and he said, Gosh, ain't B, I ain't hungry. Because he had coveted those apples. And he had just eaten everyone beyond satisfaction and into nausea. And we do that. Maybe it's not with apples. Maybe it's with, with something we're looking at. Or, or God blesses us financially and we say, Oh, I'm not sharing that because this is mine. And don't you look at it. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Gail and I were at Lifeway this week. Yeah, go ahead. 
Wasn't one over here, though, I confess. It was on Cleveland Avenue. Um, there was a lady in there. Mid-50s, probably. And appeared homeless. And she was sitting at one of the tables in the Bible section. And she had that Bible open and she was reading it. And she had a little scratch piece of paper and she was jotting down notes with a borrowed pen from a borrowed Bible. And, and I'm sure that that was not something that they would really want a customer to do. Because she had the Bible open and she was using it and it wasn't fresh and it wasn't, you could tell the binding had been pulled apart. But the lady that's the manager there, her name is Margaret. She didn't try to run Bonnie off. She didn't walk back there and say, don't dirty the pages of my Bible. She simply asked her this. Bonnie, did you find what you were looking for? And Bonnie had notes on Psalm 91. And Bonnie had notes on Psalm 23. On a piece of scratch paper. She could have said, this is my Bible. Don't you touch it. If you wrinkle the page, I can't sell it. If you get a smudge on it, who's going to want it? No, Margaret looked beyond that. And saw Bonnie, who didn't have a Bible. Actually, she had a Bible, but the print wasn't large enough for her to read. And so... Margaret looked past what was the obvious answer. Saw the greater need in a person's life. And she let her study the word. Bonnie said, yes ma'am. I found it all. You see, covetousness says, that's mine. You can't touch it because if you touch it, you might wrinkle it. Contentment says, you know what? That's a Bible. They make a lot of Bibles. And more important than a Bible is Bonnie and her, and her peace and her relationship with God and what she's seeking. Yeah. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Contentment. How do we find it? First of all, it says to us in verse 6 that godliness with contentment. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. It's personal contentment. It's God, you're enough. God, I have enough. God, if I'm lacking, then that means at this moment either I haven't heard you correctly or you're withholding something from me until I understand something better or until I'm ready to receive it. That is a law, okay? That is a thing. It is an absolute He doesn't say, might be, he says it is. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If I take my cell phone and I hold it up here and I let it go, what's going to happen? It'll drop. If it hits the floor, it doesn't break because I have a case on it. But that is a law. I would love if I hold it up here and I drop it for it to float and not hit the floor like that. That would be my preference. But God says, no, I created it this way. If you hold it up and you let it go, it's going to hit the ground. God said, I created godliness plus contentment is great gain. 
That's the way it is. We don't question this. You'll be yelling, don't drop the cell phone, don't drop the cell phone. But yet when I see people who are discontent, or when I'm living in discontentment, I don't recognize the fact that godliness with contentment is where the great gain comes from. Oh, you can do this, or oh, you can go there, or oh, you need godliness, yes, but you need these other things. So let me just give you some faulty formulas that it's easy for us to hear as quick as a Google search or a channel change on the TV. Godliness plus prosperity equals great gain. That is not what the Scripture says. Godliness plus prosperity does not equal great gain. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. The second thing that we hear is that godliness plus poverty equals great gain. I mean, that's the whole movement of the, of the monks. It's, you know what, I'll be godly and then I'll deprive myself of all of these things. And surely somewhere in there, there's great gain. Godliness plus power equals great gain. No. Godliness plus family equals great gain. God says love your family, honor your family, keep your family, protect, and all of these things. But just because you have a family doesn't mean that you have great gain. Godliness plus ministry success equals great gain. No. The right formula is this. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. So what are the motivations? What are the things that take us there? Let's go back to our passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And look, first of all, we said godliness plus contentment is great gain. That is how we begin to have this attitude of contentment. We recognize God and contentment is for us. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out of the world. So we need to look to eternity. We need to look with an eternal perspective. We had a lady here in our church that, well, I, I can tell you, Miss Ingram. Miss Ingram, remember we sat right here, we celebrated her 100th birthday, only a short while after her 100th birthday, and she prayed for us as a church, prayed over us. She lost the life on this earth and graduated to her eternal home. Miss Ingram lived with an eternal perspective. Miss Ingram provided an inheritance, which it says it's good to do to her family. But she looked beyond saying it's about my family, and she said, you know what, it's also about the kingdom. And Miss Ingram, who left an inheritance to her family, also has left an inheritance to her church. She had a kingdom mindset. She had something that said... God, you have blessed me with this. I didn't bring it into the world with me. And I'm sure not going to take it out of the world with me. So how in the world will I use it to honor you in my death? How will I do Hebrews 11.4? Even though I am dead, I still speak. And she said, to my family, the scripture says, leave an inheritance. To my God, God says, I gave you everything. Use it for my glory. And she has chosen to do that. We've not received it yet, but all the paperwork's been signed. And I would challenge you today. Have you put all of your hope in one basket? Are you saying, God, you've given it all to me now. How would you have me not only use it now, but how would you have me use it for eternity? How would you have me use it 
for your kingdom. We need to have an eternal mindset. I remember when Dallas and Davis were both born. They didn't bring even a smile into this world. Yeah, they didn't have it. What they have, they were given. Now, Gail and I had a responsibility to that, and we did it. But they didn't bring it. They didn't bring the ability to talk and to walk and to do things around the house. They didn't bring the ability to know how to go change their clothes or go to the restroom so we didn't have to change their clothes. They were taught those things. And God says, you didn't bring anything here. The mind that you have, I gave you. The ability and the blessings you have, I gave you. So I want you to live with an eternal perspective. I want you to understand that I gave it to you. Because listen to me, when you die, you're not going to bring it with you either. Erwin Lutzer tells a story of a, of a young seminary student in one of his books about who was in his first ministry, and they called him and said, Pastor, somebody passed away, and you need to do a funeral. And he didn't have a funeral suit. He didn't have that thing that you wear. So he thought, the only place I probably could afford it is at the pawn shop. So he went to the pawn shop. He walked in, and to his surprise, there was an entire rack of black suits. He said, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I didn't expect to find a black suit here, so why in the world do you have it? They said, well, you know that funeral home that was down the road and around the corner. They went out of business and we went in and bought all the suits that they used to bury men in. So surely there's a suit in here that fits you. Sure enough, he went, he pulled it out, tried it on. Man, that thing felt amazing. When he got to the funeral and he was ready to rest in a point, he reached his hand into his pocket and instead of his hand stopping at the bottom of the pocket, it just kept on going. Why wouldn't a suit <laughs> that a, you would put on a body inside a casket have a bottom in the pocket? They don't need it. They're not taking anything. He says, you weren't born with it. And you're not going to take it with you. So the best that you can hope for is to say, okay, with godliness and contentment, then God, show me how to have an eternal and kingdom mindset on this side of heaven. I've heard it said that you can't take it with you, but you can store it up in blessings. Meaning that when you use that, God looks and He judges your acts of righteousness. So today, as we're trying to say, God... Kill this mindset of covetousness in us. Do it now. I think the Bible says that if you, that if you, is it three score and ten, four score and ten? Three score and ten, isn't it? That that's a good life? I'm 53 years old. That means... If God gives me 17 more years that he says, I have been blessed. Anything past that, I guess I'm just extra blessed or Gail's extra cursed. I'm not sure. Man, but when you put it into perspective, or when I put it into perspective, 
that Dallas is 24 and Davis is 20. I may not have what I've already had in front of me. Now, that's not to be doom and gloom. God can let me live to be 100. He can let me live to be whatever. But he says that if you get three score and ten, you've been blessed. And somehow it garners a sense of urgency. <laughs> because, you know, we sit and think, man, I got, I got forever. Then one day you wake up and think, forever ain't that far away. It's around the corner. So God... Give us an eternal mindset. Give us a kingdom mind. Not only does he tell us that our motivations for godliness plus contentment is to look to an eternal mindset. He teaches us through this passage, just let enough be enough. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Now, he said in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things happen as an example. What things? These attitudes that kept the children of Israel in the wilderness. So what was their first problem? They were murmuring. They didn't like. God, you could have just let us stay in Egypt. It would have been better. But the whole time they were in Egypt, they were crying, God, get us out. Then once God got them out and they got into the wilderness, only a few days in, they started to covet other things to eat, right? Remember, they talked about melons and leeks and cucumbers and meat to eat. And they cried and God heard their cry. And God said, I tell you what, I'm going to give you what you asked for. One day's journey outside of this camp, there's going to be some birds flying around and around and around. And you just go out there and you catch them. God said, with food and clothing. What was the food that God chose to give them in the beginning? Manna. He said, that's enough. They took what God gave them and said, that's not enough. And they began to covet something else. God says to us, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Truth. Now, just, just raise your hand. How many of you walked into your closet this, last night, this morning, looked at a rack of outfits and said, of all of these, which, uh, which one should I wear or I have nothing to wear? How many of you looked at an abundance of shoes trying to decide which shoes looked the best with the outfit that you didn't even have anything to wear? Oh, we back here, we got two amens going on. Yeah, we got like a whole family back there saying that. <laughs> truth we've all been there and because you've got two outfits and two pairs of shoes or ten outfits and ten pairs of shoes that's not really the issue the issue is God you are more than enough God I'm content with you and God show me how to use what you've given me in a way that will bring you just more glory more honor more of this well, how do you do that? How do you do it? First of all, I think you have to seek it. You have to seek 
I have enough. It is letting your words be true and your emotions who may be playing chase. It's let your words be true and your emotions who are playing chase. Let them catch up to your confession. I have enough. I have enough. It's enough. I have it. God, you are all I need. God, what you've given me, it is enough. You seek it. You say it. I have enough. How then can I use what you've given me to honor you? So you don't only seek it, God, I have enough. You say it, God, I have enough. And then you settle it. Look with me at Psalm 62. Psalm 62. It's in between 61 and 63 if you can't have trouble finding it. Psalm 62. This is a psalm of David. David says, Truly my soul silently waits from the Lord. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. Verse 5. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge. It is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. David is seeking it. David is saying it. And by the the way it is written, it is something that David has settled. God is his refuge. He said, I... I'm going to trust you, God. So we look to eternity. We let enough be enough. And we learn by example. Do you all know who the cookie monster is? How does the cookie, help me, how does the cookie monster do? Give me, come up here with me. Come on, you can, come on, help me. All right, who's willing to be the cookie monster? Tim. Come on, that's all right, bring the baby with you. Come up here with me and show us what the cookie monster does. All right. All right, the baby can be the cookie. All right. So we've got to have props, right? All right, so show us, show us, give us an idea and understanding of what the cookie monster does. No, 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 then he says, I want cookies, more cookies, me like cookies. Yes, man, <laughs> that was very good. Y'all give him a hand. Yes. Yes, y'all didn't know the cookie monster was a Bible story. There we go. We learned by example. The cookie monster is an example of what not to do. I want cookies. And that's what we do with things. That's what we do with stuff. We've, we've got it all, and then we got, I want, I want all of it more, times two, and then times five, and then times ten. And we need to learn by an example of something. The rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Turn in your Bibles there with me. 
You could find him in other places, but the one that I chose was Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Talking about Jesus, now as he, that's Christ. Now as he was going out on the road and one came running, knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, can you, do you kind of picture? He's running. There's Jesus. Good teacher, what should I do? And Jesus looks at him and says, Keep the commandments. Why do you call me good? And he looks up at him, I, I think, with a puzzled and inquiring look. Because Jesus has just given him a checklist. And he's like, I've done all those things. I've done them since I was little. And, and in, there would be the nagging question, if I've done all those things, and I've done what you've said, then why don't I have this peace that passes understanding? Why am I still looking for more? Why is there still uneasiness in me? Why is there still an unsettling in my heart? And why is there this stirring in my soul? And Jesus goes on. And he answered, I've kept all these things. Then Jesus looking at him, Loved him. Ooh. You see that? He looked at him and he loved him. He saw the the heart. He saw the desire. He wasn't judging and saying, Oh, get away from me. I've told you this or you've heard this or somebody in the synagogue taught a lesson on it. Surely you've got it. No, Jesus had compassion. And in his compassion, he looked at him and loved him. And he said to them, One thing you lack. Now, Jesus went from the teaching to the heart. You get me? You follow where I'm headed here. He went from the external of religion to the internal of relationship. And he said, one thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Remember I told you a moment ago, you can't take it with me, but you can't, can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. The blessings ahead. Yeah, you'll have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This rich young ruler wanted all that God had, but he wanted it under His conditions, not God's. And what God was saying to him is, you tell me you you want peace. You tell me you want eternal life. But the truth is, you want me, you want it more. You want your possessions. You're not willing to, to sacrifice. You're not willing to take up the cross and follow. And unfortunately, This man who said, God, I want it, but was confronted with it. It says that he turned away. And there's nowhere ever in the scripture that says that he gave his heart to Christ. 
We learn by example. We learn by it. Ananias and Sapphira made a big to-do about selling some land and saying they had brought the whole tithe into the storehouse in Acts chapter 5. And ultimately they had lied to not only the people, but they had lied to God. And it says that at that moment, life was gone. Learn by example. Rockefeller was asked the question, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Henry Ford asked the same question. Didn't really give an exact answer, but he said this. I don't know, but I was never happier than when I was working on cars in my garage. Now, this was a man that could have bought it and sold it and bought it again and given it away and still had enough to buy. He said, what made me happy was not the money. What made me happy was when I was fulfilling a purpose. God says to us, fulfill a purpose. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. I'm convinced of this, not because I read it, but because I know it, that this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. How do we get back to the book? Through confession, repentance, a surrendered life and a daily dying. Gail and I were listening to a sermon yesterday and the word was put off the sin. And the, the man that was preaching it, I believe it was Dr. Stanley, the man that was preaching it said, that if Paul wrote put off, then that was all that was needed to be done. We needed to put off the sin because if there was some other formula, Paul would have had to explain it. God, replace our covetous attitude with an attitude of commitment, with a kingdom mind, learning by example that you alone are more than enough. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more, to listen to messages and teaching from Pastor Chris, to contribute through online giving, please visit our website at www.mzbc.org. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.